Chapter Nineteen of Freaks on the Fells Three Months Rustication Story One by R. M. Ballantyne. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elaine Conway, England. Chapter Nineteen A Strange Homecoming master jacky made two discoveries next day both of which he announced with staring eyes in breathless haste having previously dashed into the parlour like a miniature thunderbolt the first was that the bathing-pool was clean swept away by the floods not a vestige of it being left the whole family rushed out to see with their own eyes they saw and were convinced not a trace of it remained even the banks of the little stream had been so torn and altered by gushing water and tumbling rocks that it was almost impossible to say where that celebrated pool had been the rains having commenced again on monday just as if sunday had been allowed to clear up in order to let people get to church the family returned to the house some to read and sketch mr sudbury and george to prepare for a fishing excursion despite the rain the second discovery was more startling in its nature jacky announced it with round eyes and a blazing face thus oh ma old moggy's to dying the attractive power of sweeties and a certain fondness for the old woman in the boy's heart had induced jacky to visit the hut so frequently that it at last came to be understood that when the imp was utterly lost he was sure to be at old moggy's he had sauntered down indifferent to rain to call on his friend just after discovering the destruction of the bathing-pool and found her lying on the bundle of rags which constituted her bed she was groaning woefully jack went forward with much anxiety the old woman was too ill to raise herself but she had sufficient strength to grasp the child's hand and drawing him towards her to stroke his head hello moggy you're ill a groan and a gasp was the reply and the poor creature made such wry faces and looked altogether so cadaverous that jacky was quite alarmed he suggested a drink of water and brought her one then as the old woman poured out a copious stream of gaelic with much emphasis he felt that the presence of some more able and intelligent nurse was necessary so like a sensible boy he ran home and delivered his report as has been already described lucy and fred hastened at once to the hut of the old woman and found her in truth in a high fever the result no doubt of the severe wetting of the day before and having slept in damp clothes her mind was wandering a little when lucy knelt at her side and took a hand but she retained sufficient self-control to look up and exclaim earnestly i can say no i can say no i can say they will be done she became aware as she said so that the visitor at her side was not the one she had expected eh you know miss flora no dear granny but i am quite as anxious to help you and flora will come very soon we have only just heard of your illness and have sent a message to flora come tell me what is the matter let me put your poor head right old moggy submitted with a groan and lucy assisted by fred endeavoured to make her bed 
a little more comfortable while the anxious and staring jackie was sent back to the house for some tea and a dry flannel gown before his return however flora macdonald who chanced to be in the neighbourhood came in to see moggy and immediately took the case in hand in a way that greatly relieved fred and lucy because they felt that she was accustomed to such incidents and thoroughly understood what to do hobbs who came in a few minutes later with a sudbury medicine chest was instantly dispatched by flora for the doctor and george who entered a few minutes after that was sent about his business as were also a number of gossips whose presence would ere long have rendered the small hut unbearably warm but for flora's decision meanwhile all this unusual bustle had the effect of diverting the mind of the patient who ceased to groan and took to wandering instead leaving them all thus engaged we must beg the reader to accompany us to a very different scene it is a dense thicket within the entrance of the pass to which reference has been made more than once here a band of wandering beggars or gypsies had pitched their camp on a spot which commanded an extensive view of the high road yet was itself concealed from view by the tall trees which in that place covered the rugged hillside there was a rude hut constructed of boughs and ferns underneath which several dark-skinned and sturdy children were at play a dissipated-looking young woman sat beside them in front of this hut a small fire was kindled and over it from a tripod hung an iron pot the contents of which were watched with much interest and stirred from time to time by a middle-aged woman of forbidding aspect beside her stood our amiable friend with the squint and the broken nose who had already been mentioned as having received a merited thrashing from mr sudbury yes the little brute had come back said the gypsy grinding his teeth in a way that might have led one to suppose he would have been glad to have had the little brute between them serves ye right for stealing him away said the woman serves me right echoed the man bitterly did i not vow that i would have my revenge on that old witch did she not stand up in court and witness again me so that i got two year for a job that many a fellow gets off with six months for well you know you deserved it was the woman's comforting rejoinder you committed the robbery so i did but if that she-wolf had not made it out so bad i'd have got off with six months ha but i knew how to touch her up i knew her weakness swore afore i left the dock that i'd steal away the little cub she was so fond of and i did it there was a gleam of triumph in the gypsy's face as he said this but it was quickly followed by a scowl when the woman said well and much you have made of it here is the brat come back at the end of five years to spoil our harvest how could i know he'd do that i paid the captain a goodish lumper tin to take him on a long voyage and i thought he was so young that he'd forgot the old place how do you know that he hasn't forgot it inquired the woman cause i seed him not twenty miles from this and heerd him say he'd stopped at the blue boar all night and come on here in the morning that's to-morrow so i come straight out to ask you what i'm to do ha that's like you too chicken-hearted to do anything till i set you on and mean enough to saddle it on me when you're nabbed come that's an old story growled the man you know what i am i know what you are 
but if something's not done we'll have to cut this here part of the country in the very thick o the season when these southern sightseers are hanging about the hills that's true rejoined the woman seriously many a penny the bairns get from them and there's no part so good as this ye couldn't put him out the way could ye no said the man doggedly the woman had accompanied her question with a sidelong glance a fiendish meaning but her eyes at once dropped and she evinced no anger at the sharp decision of her companion's reply mother cried the young woman issuing from the hut at the moment don't you dare to go and tempt him again like that our hands are black enough already don't you try to make them red as i'll blab the elder woman assumed an injured look as she said who spoke of making them red dreaders are evil doers is there no way o puttin a chick out o the way besides murderin him hush exclaimed the man starting and glancing round with a guilty look as if he fancied the bare mention of the word murder would bring the strong arm of the law down on his head i won't hush cried the woman you're cowards both of you are there no corries in the hills to hide him in no ropes to tie him with that you should find it so difficult to keep a brat quiet for a week or two a gleam of intelligence shot across the ill-favoured face of the gipsy ha you're a wise woman come out with your plan and see if i'm not game to do it there's no plan worth speaking of rejoined the woman somewhat mollified by her companion's complimentary remarks all you've to do is to go down the road to-morrow catch him and bring him to me i'll see to it that he don't make his voice heard until we've done with this part of the country then we can slip the knot and let the brat go free i'll do it said the man sitting down on a stone and beginning to fill his pipe i thought he was dead said the woman so did i but he's not dead yet and don't look as if he'd die soon maybe said the woman he won't remember ye it's full five years now sin he was took away won't he retorted the man with an angry look which did not tend to improve his disagreeable visage ha huh, i heerd him say he'd know me if he saw me in a crowd of ten thousand i would have throttled the cup then and there but the place was too public a short silence ensued during which the gypsies ate their food with the zest of half-starved wolves you'd better go down and see old moggy suggested the woman when the man had finished his repast and resumed his pipe if the brat escapes you to-morrow it may be as well to let the old jade know that you'll murder both him and her if he dares to blab the man shook his head no use said he but the woman repeated her advice in a tone that was equivalent to a command so the man rose up sulkily and went he was not a little surprised on drawing near to the hut to find it in a state of bustle and apparently in possession of the sudburys not daring to show himself he slunk back to his encampment and informed his female companion of what he had seen all the more reason to make sure work of him on the road to-morrow said she with a dark frown so i mean to replied the man doggedly with these amiable sentiments and intentions animated in their breasts this pair crept into their booth and went to rest in the bosom of their family
End of chapter 19